Hi, and welcome to the Day One Podcast. My name is Simon Moran, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Peter Johnson, the CEO of Fat Scooters here in Arizona. So, Peter, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Cool. So, to start off, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and a little bit about how that influenced to where you are today. Yeah, I actually was born here uh, in Arizona, in Mesa, and then when I was nine, uh, Parents moved us out to Guam. I grew up out there the rest of my life until I got recruited to swim at U of A and then moved up uh, to Phoenix after college. Cool. So when you were at school, what was the draw to that to jump in the pool and kind of do the swimming thing? And, and how did you end up excelling at that? I started swimming when I was five, you know, and then competitively about seven years old uh, and just stuck with me. My parents, I was it was something that I was really good at, uh, played all the other sports, but swimming was really what I excelled at and uh, got me that uh, into school and really developed me uh, into who I am today. Um, I think being an, an athlete at a high level really uh, gives you something that a lot of other people don't have. I mean, especially in the swimming world, you know, two a days starting when you're, when you're, you know, as far as the workouts, it's a lot to do. Now in high school, then did you have an idea of what you wanted to do or was it all focused solely on swimming? Did you have any idea what you want to do professionally outside of, you know, that I did, I'd, I'd always loved the sports and, and medicine. So I was going to go into sports medicine actually started pre-med when I was in uh in college that lasted a semester <laughs> or uh, actually my freshman year and then I uh right figured Axe that was that. not what I wanted to do right so growing up did you have any mentors or anything like that that you looked to that was really your inspiration behind um what you're doing today you know I've always had uh, athletes in your sport that you you know when you were younger you looked up to I think you know in in my era everybody looked up to Jordan um, he was he was a big one uh, Barkley uh, I was always a big basketball fan uh, you know and swimming it was Tom Dolan it was Gary Hall um, and uh, Alexander Popov uh, were some of the big names but uh, professionally you know I've always been in been in business with my dad since uh, 2003 uh, he's always been a mentor for me, um, and so that that would be uh, you know who I would point to. Cool. So your experience at U of A, tell us a little bit about what that was like, and um, maybe what you majored in, and, and how that uh, brought you to where you are. Yeah. So after uh, I got my gen eds out of the way, uh, I, I kind of went into deciphering whether I was going to be business uh, or not, and decided on com as my major with a business ad admin uh, minor. And that was, I just, I really enjoyed the communication classes. Uh, you know, I'm big into networking and business development. And I think, you know, that was a, a big portion. You know, I still had the accounting classes and some of the business classes on that side, but the main focus was more on the, on the comm side. And I think that's really helped me today to get where I am. And we have a lot of younger viewers too that are trying to go down that path of starting a business or becoming an entrepreneur. What is your opinion when it comes to going to college and getting a college degree and how that may benefit or detract from, you know, going down the career path of being an entrepreneur? Sure. You know, ed education is always, uh, always important, but there's lots of classes, uh, lots of filler classes. Um, and I think it's not necessarily the classes. I mean, with you go pre-med, you've got to know the science, you've got to know those things. But with business, you know, you've got to have the accounting backgrounds, you've got to have some of those classes. But what you retain after high school and college is 
less than 10% right. <laughs> of what you learned in those classes. What you do achieve by going to there is, is learning real life, being on your own, um, and developing those life skills is what you really what college is about, aside from just the academics. Right. Uh, you learn how to negotiate your grade. You learn how to <laughs> negotiate, you know, if you need to retake the test, uh, do things and then time management, um, how to do your laundry. Right. Pay for your own food, do those things, manage your money. Those are really critical skills. And then you also develop for for me, those that's the start of um, you know, a lot of people don't have at 40 years old, they don't have many of their high school friends, you know, middle school, they start to phase out really the relationships that you're going to retain for the rest of your life are the college relationships that you made, uh, friendships. And as you get older, those people are starting their own businesses and you're starting to network and create that you know, your, your core that you're going to retain for the rest of your life. Now, were you working in high school or through college at all? Or what was that first experience, um, either working for someone or with someone? So in high school, I started my own yard business when I was 10, uh, maintained that through, uh, really till I came to college. Um, and, uh, so I had, you know, I was, I was making 1500 bucks a month, um, which is a lot of money for yeah. uh, a kid, but you know I was doing that on top of swimming. So my Saturdays, uh, so Fridays kid, after yeah. yeah, were you know Saturdays were were involved you know swimming and and doing yards, um, and that and my dad had a construction business, so I'd work for him on the weekends sometimes uh, if he needed help. Um, but then coming into college, uh, you know we didn't swimming took up all of our time. So I didn't have a job per se in college. It was swimming. And then, uh, afterwards I went to work for an auto glass company that really taught me that threw me in the fire on cold calling and, and <laughs> right, uh, doing yeah. stuff like that. Um, so that, that was, uh, that was a good thing. And I also worked as uh, a, a server at Chili's for about six months. Sure. And I think those are, everybody should be a waiter at one point <laughs> in, that in, experience, in their yeah. life and do something that's involved with sales or cold calling, um, to get your feet wet. Especially if you want to go into that, you know, entrepreneurship role, because if you can't sell your product, then, you know, where are you at? Right. Always find something that's getting you outside of your comfort zone to try and develop further is sure. I think is a good thing. So when did you first realize that you wanted to go down this path and, and work for yourself and build a company? Uh, after the autoglass, I came up to Phoenix. My dad had a custom cabinet business. They'd moved back from Guam. Um, and I came up to work for him, uh, doing sales, uh, had, didn't know much about cabinet cabinetry, anything like that. Been in the construction business, uh, growing up, but, uh, you know, wasn't sure how construction, the sales, the design, all of that. And I just kind of got thrown in and my, my, uh, dad would shadow me, help me, you know, give me advice. But I really just was kind of on my own for a while and just figuring it out for myself, going around and, and, uh, calling on general contractors, trying to get bid, you know, trying to get plans to bid on. And, right. um, we took that business from when I came in, I think it was about a $600,000 a year business. And we took it up to almost 5 million, wow. uh, in a, in a couple of years. So what would you say throughout this journey has been maybe one of the toughest things that you've experienced when it comes to running a business that our viewers should know about? You know, um, hiring is always tough, uh, getting the right um, getting the right people, you know, there's a book called good to great and it's about getting the right people on the bus before you drive the bus out of the, sure. uh, 
out of the parking space. And uh, that's really true in any business. And it's hard when you when you've never started a business before and you don't have relationships, you don't know how you're going to work with people, who you're going to need to help out. Um, and then capital is always, always tough, right? You don't have the, uh, the, the capital to hire the, you know, the big talent that right. might be already experienced. So, you know, you, you, um, you hire part-time, you do, you, do, you know, independent contractors, you hire them for, you know, a couple hours a week, whatever you can afford sure. to try and try and do that. Um, but it, it really is trying to manage people and especially as, as you grow, trying to manage the internal workforce is, is probably one of the toughest things when you're starting out, right. um, partnerships, you know, getting the things done up front, making sure you have your contract, your partnership agreements, making sure those things are inked down before, you know, a lot of people just want to get out and they want to go. Right. Um, and then it's much harder to go back and to do that stuff after the fact than it is right up front. Right. Because people don't remember things sure. you know, the right way, the wrong impression, or then you're very successful and all of a sudden they want more. <laughs> yeah. So it can yeah, really yeah. create a lot of havoc. So getting things done up front is really critical uh, to do, I think, um, and has always been kind of the, t the toughest thing. And as we grow, I think, you know, contracts used to be two pages, now they're 100. Uh, it's really hard to read those things um, because of just how things have, you know, evolved in our society, you know, uh, coffee being too hot and spilled on and they get right. sued. And so now that's another thing that we add into a paragraph sure. uh, disclaimer. Um, but I think the experience that I've garnered over the multiple business that I've businesses that I've been involved in and had and gone through lawsuits, uh, gone through depositions has really, um, and the failure of businesses going through a recession and, and losing, you know, uh, two businesses um, has really taught me what what did I do wrong in those what would I do differently and you know failing forward um, you know I don't regret anything that we've we've done because it's uh, it's taught me what not to do in the future Definitely. and how to be better now fat scooters was founded in 2017 tell us a little bit about what inspired the idea and how it started to grow so rapidly sure so uh, there's Three founding members, uh, Dan Bo and myself. Dan's an anesthesiologist. Uh, we all live in the kind of the Arcadia area, Central uh, Phoenix corridor. Um, and Dan called me over one day and said, "Hey, I just bought these two electric scooters, uh, and come check them out. They were being delivered." So I I ran over to his house and uh, saw these things pull up, and um, I was like, "Wow, those those are pretty, pretty cool." cool yeah. um, jumped on, we went for a ride, and immediately. I, I was just in love and uh, we had people asking where they where they got them everything else so we, you know after Dan and I talked I said oh, I'm gonna call my business partner Bo if he has the same reaction I did I know we, we, we've got, got something yeah. and I always go do a, a lot of research before I jump into something um, you know you have that gut feeling but you always want to be smart about it and mm -hmm. see okay how many other people are is it a viable market is it saturated uh, and uh, found nobody was doing this stuff but you could already see the trends of electric vehicles kind of starting to hit bird and you know bird wasn't out at that time right, yet yeah. um, still it was still the the uh, rideshare uh, bicycles um, but it was a great way to get around it was super fun they looked cool but there was a lot of issues with the ones that he had gotten originally 
And so we, Bo had the same reaction I did. I said, all right, we got something. Uh, Dan, let's, uh, let's create a company. Sure. Um, we'll go over to China. We'll find a manufacturer that can do this for us. We need to redesign some of the stuff uh, to fit the U.S. market and be better uh, with motor power, battery, um, just overall design and, and, and safety for the, for the U.S. market with speeds. We did it. We brought 400 units over in July. Uh, so we started the company February of 17. First product hit. Uh, July of 17, mm -hmm. we had a small little warehouse and we, uh, we were out fulfilling scooters in 100, 115 Oof. degree heat because our warehouse was too small. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so <laughs> it was, uh, it was an interesting start, but, uh, that it, they flew off the shelf and we, we knew we were, we were going to keep going and it's just evolved. Now you mentioned bird and there's the lime scooters and things like mm -hmm. that. And that really came, the wave came after you guys started fat scooters and stuff like that. So seeing that that's the direction that people are going, this electric transport, maybe single person transport that, you know, is within a certain radius that people are going, where do you see the evolution of electric travel going when it comes to your guys' company? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the terms that everybody's starting to use is this last mile transportation. And that's really where uh, our scooters, you know, we're actually bigger than a last mile, but that's kind of where people are looking at, you know, people aren't riding our scooters 50 miles, you know, or from Phoenix down to Tucson. Right. Um, it really is that that small radius, uh, get to the grocery store, get down the canal, get to the golf course, um, do deliveries. Uh, but I, I think that's where everything is evolving. You've got Amazon, Uber Eats, you know, you have these kick scooters uh, that spin Uber, Lyft, all these guys are getting into that marketplace right. on the rideshare side. Um, so it's going to be really interesting with, I think the cities are blindsided and really trying to catch <laughs> up on where this market's going, where are they going to, where are they going to park them? I mean, we have golf courses now that, you know, they've, people are showing up with these things. They're like, okay, well, where do we, where do we park them? Right. Um, and they're creating custom parking lots for, for this, for this space. Cool. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting, but that's where I see a lot of this, you know, we did a restaurant show in Chicago and, uh, we had, I mean, a huge amount of interest from, pizza delivery places, uh, you know, food, PF Chang's companies like that, all looking to get into the delivery. But with vehicles, you can't have 10 cars that are dedicated for delivery. It takes up a lot of parking space. Right. It's expensive, the gas, the insurance, the liability, everything that goes along with that. So this, this space where we've got kind of are considered kind of an e-bike, um, where you don't need a license registration in most States really opens up a whole new category and way for people to efficiently do deliveries um, for that growing, definitely rapidly growing market. Now, one of the evolutions you guys have had from just the original scooter is into golf, like you mentioned. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about where you see the direction of that going and, and the huge upsides that people are seeing using these types of vehicles while golfing. Yeah, it's been interesting. The, uh, the single rider golf market is another starting to be a rapid uh, growth industry. And, um, you know, there was... Uh, it's been a market. It's been a market for the last six years, um, but you've really seen more people jump into it, uh, like a Sun Mountain, legitimate golf companies that are jumping into that category because they've now seen that it's a it's a valid space. Uh, and I think with the you know the decline of golf, which it it's been on the decline. You know you have younger, um, younger generations coming in and, you know, they're, they're not necessarily excited about going out to the golf course and spending five or six hours playing around right. on Saturday. Uh, this speeds up at the pace of play. 
it's fun and exciting. It's kind of new. Uh, you can play a three hour round, no problem with four of your buddies and yeah. be terrible golfers because <laughs> you can all go to your own ball. Right. It's also less wear and tear on the golf course. So there's a lot of advantages uh, for a golf course bringing these units on to supplement the golf cart. Uh, and it's it's easy to it's you know, ours is one of the most easy units to ride out there. Um, it, it's the most versatile and easy. Uh, and it's increasing revenue generation for the course because they can charge another 20, 25 bucks for taking this out above the cart fee and people will pay it. Yeah. Uh, they just said they have fun. So give us, wrap it up here. Tell us a little bit about what the next five to 10 years looks like for fat scooters and some of the models that you guys are trying to create when it comes to uh, the different scooters you guys have. Sure. Well, we're in the middle of, uh, you know, moving, opening up our own manufacturing plant down uh, in Mexico, uh, controlling our manufacturing, uh, which is a big step for us. Uh, we're, we're kind of moving into being a, a complete EV electric vehicle manufacturer and uh, being in a space where you know we can manufacture anything from our motor to our battery to the frame. We'll, you know we'll control all of it and be doing that in house, which is exciting. Um, wow. And uh, the you know we're coming, we're constantly trying to develop and innovate um, models. So we have you know, our, our flex unit, but we'll be expanding. Uh, we have uh, something coming out um, early 2020, which will be the uh, the, the little fatty. Um, and we try and create versatile vehicles that, you know, you can use on college campus, you can take on your boat, on your plane, different things that really, uh, that are all electric, that create that um, last mile transportation uh, to, to just, to get around. And one last piece of advice for the listeners, what would you tell them is one of the key things that you do on a daily basis that just maybe separates you uh, when it comes to business or what's something that you focus on every day that you make sure you execute on when it comes to business? You know, having um, having uh, focusing in the morning, like when I first get up, you know, I'll be laying in bed and, uh, you know, I get up early and I've got a five-year-old and, you know, I'll just lay in bed next to my wife and, you know, she's, she's asleep and I just try and hammer out. Uh, I look at emails. Um, I try not to do stuff right before I go to bed because if you get an email that, you know, is annoying or think, you know, just right. it, the mind you, starts you'll racing. Be, your mind starts racing. It's hard to get to sleep. So I try and shut down uh, and, and just eliminate that and wake up fresh in the morning, try and knock out as much stuff as I can before I get in, because I know once I get in the office, I've, I've got, I get bombarded by people asking questions and right. I don't have the time to sit, you know, in front of my computer and hammer out emails. Um, so I try and do as much of that stuff I, as I can in the morning first thing. And then when I get to the office, I just really try and contact with everybody and have little uh, stand up pop up meetings rather than getting in a big conference room and spending, you know, two hours in a big corporate meeting with everybody. Right. We do that once a week so that everybody's knows and i think that's critical you have to have a weekly meeting but throughout the week you need to have constant touches with with everybody to just see what's 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 going on sure so and for the listeners what's the best way to place an order for a fat scooter or to connect online socially with you guys yeah so our our you know our incident face group handlers at fat scoot uh, p-h-a-t scoot and then you know it's just fatscooters.com p-h-a-t again uh, they can go on place orders uh, they can contact us email us uh, we have 
people live almost 24-7 that they can get a hold of uh, via customer service and placing an order or come down to our warehouse uh, in Tempe, take a test ride, come check out our event space, and we'd love to have you. Cool. Well, Peter Johnson, CEO of the Fat Scooters here in Arizona, thank you for joining us on the Day One Podcast. Have Thanks a great for day. having me.